Nick, tell me about your favorite camera. Well, that's sort of impossible because I'm not good at having favorites. But if I if I erase that and just open my mind, the one that always pops in is a, something called a Voigtlander Perkio, which is one of the smallest 6x6 medium format folding cameras. I always called that a Perkeo. Oh, well, who knows? <laughs> it's an accent. It's, it's no doubt they're both wrong because it's a German-made camera. But... Anyway, there's something about the way this camera works. It's really tiny, really simple, uh, but it takes fantastic photographs. So you can slip it in a pocket and you have, you have to, you're sort of forced to work outside the camera, which is why I really like it. You, there's a tiny little viewfinder, but you have to set the focus on uh, the exposure parameters all on the outside of the camera. And then you use the viewfinder more to aim than anything else. It's, Totally different than the single lens reflex where you're kind of Im immersed in the viewfinder. And I find that it makes that I actually take better pictures when I have to sort of stand out in the world and evaluate. And then you just use the camera more like, a, I don't know, like a gun to sort of shoot a, shoot a shot of something that I'm experiencing directly. I don't know why that helps, but it seems to help me a lot. Essentially, you have to think it through. That's the thing that you're talking about, right? You have to think through the shot. Yeah, and I have to use my imagination because the camera isn't sort of feeding me exactly what I'm going to get. Oh, right, uh, right. I don't know. It just seems to I seem to engage a lot differently with these old-fashioned cameras that you you don't have such an immersive viewfinder experience. Right, right. I think you know. I I think I'm pretty close to that in that. My favorite cameras are almost all rangefinders. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, like I would say, probably my favorite is an Olympus 35 SPN, and it's one of those all-in-one rangefinders. The the uh, the lens is built in; it's not interchangeable. What I found in my life is that if I'm looking through the lens, if it's an SLR, uh, I I will often miss the focus. But with a rangefinder, when that's you know, that's what that function is. That's, you know, half the viewfinder's function is that range finder. I'm spot on if, if I remember to focus, because sometimes I don't <laughs> always do that, you know? So, so, I mean, uh, one of the things ab uh, about that one is it, it's a, it's not completely compact. It's not a huge camera, but it's not completely compact. I do like little compact range finders as well, like the the Roly XF35, which had its sister camera, the Voigtlander VF. 135 they're you know essentially the same camera a couple of different things but essentially the same camera what i loved about those is not only were they small but they were light it wasn't you know there wasn't cast anything it was all pressed metal and i could slip one of those into the into my pocket uh when you know i i could walk around all day i, I wear cargo pants you know uh and i i walk around all day with one of those in my pocket and just take it out and put it back in and so it it was really unobtrusive in the rest of my life i didn't have to carry it i didn't have to think about it i didn't have to make sure it wasn't bumping into something so that's um and and i talk in the past because i don't have one of those anymore i sold sold my two uh two versions of that so so what would you do to modify uh the perkio the perkeo if you had to modify it to make it better what would you do to make it better oh i wouldn't change anything about it but those cameras are were intended to be used with uh and if if you wanted uh you could use an external rangefinder that goes in the cold shoe on top oh yeah okay and and I have sometimes done that, but I'm actually getting away from that as well. And there's, is it then just zone focusing? I mean, is it, uh, there's yeah, a scale? So it's, okay. it's either estimating or if I'm doing, if I'm shooting close up and my subject holds still, I actually use a measuring tape a lot. Oh, it's, really? Okay. <laughs> it takes all the guessing out. And if you're close, you can just extend a carpenter's tape out, read the number and shoot. Wow. Uh, this one's in meters, so I have to carry a little tape that, that's a metric, but yeah. it's not, that actually gives you precise focus and it's very fast. Uh -huh. Um, and it helps you learn to estimate better as well because yeah. you, keep, you just keep testing yourself. Yeah. And, uh, anyway, so I'm happy with that. Um, external rangefinder sometimes is handy, but, uh, it's, it's not really that important. Um, it's not how I use those cameras. Yeah. You tend to stop down and, just not worry about focusing part of the whole point of a camera like that is you just set it 
and then you forget about everything except getting the shot that you want. And I like that. I like the lack of distraction and sort of the opposite of modern camera. And I like using both, but there's something very refreshing about the old, very simple setups. I, yeah, I think I, I think I agree with you. Uh, I mean, I do like that rangefinder, but, um, uh, it, thinking it through is, uh, is the joy, one of the big joys I get out of photography. So, and also, and also I use a lot of the regular rangefinders that you're describing and I like them very much as well. And the thing I like most about them is that you have a viewfinder that shows a lot more than what's going to be in the frame. Right. And that I really like because to me, it's, much more effective way to make a composition is to see the bigger picture and then just place the frame over the part you want. That's, I think, a huge advantage of those that is completely missed when you're peering through a, a camera that only shows you exactly what's going to be in the frame. What do you say we start the show? Sure. Uh, let's start the Homemade Camera Podcast. <laughs> If there are all those good cameras out there, the ones that you like shooting, uh, like the Brickeo, wh why would you want to build a camera? What's what's the advantage of building one on your own? Well, there's a whole list of reasons. One of the, the probably the first reason for me is that there are sort of specialized cameras that I would really like to have, uh, and they don't either don't exist or I can't afford them. Yeah, so... I'm, I'm with you on the can't afford. Yeah, <laughs> so. So I, I am working on a whole list of designs of very specific cameras that will do something for me that I can't, I just can't get. Uh, so that's like a really strong reason. Yeah. Like uh, one of the ones that I want to make, um, uh, I've, uh, I, I've been forever wanting to build, uh, my own version of an X-Pan. Uh, I also want to, uh, work with some formats that I can't get. Um, so, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm completely what's, with you. What's an that. example of a, what's an example of a format that you can't get? Well, well, okay. So if we're talking medium format, you get, uh, six by six, that's the standard. You get six, four, five, you get six by nine, six by 12, six by 14 on really specialty cameras. Uh, but one of the things that I've been thinking about is, okay, six by 12 is a, is a one to two ratio, right? So, mm -hmm. um, a six by three rather than do six by 12 where you're taking where you only get what four shots in a in a 120 roll six by three you'd end up getting 24 shots thereabout <laughs> on a on a, on a 120 roll and it's the same format right it's the same format so uh so that's the type of thing so that's almost like a side it's like an x pan rotated unless you depends on how you feed the film through it but <laughs> right right well and that's part of the deal i'm I'm trying to design one for uh 3D printing and I'm trying to decide do I want the do I want the roll to go left to right or do I want the roll to go top to bottom. So you know essentially is the native going to be landscape or is the native going to be portrait? Yeah, if it was if it was me I'd definitely go for the landscape orientation. I I, I think with a 1 to 2 it's got to be the landscape orientation. So uh so that means that I have to figure out how to do the roll top to bottom. So, uh, so that's one of the things that, that I'm figuring out. So, it, you know, that, that type of thing, um, you know, uh, I, I, I love doing that for, for a camera that I can't get somewhere else, but also, you know, part of the deal is going through the whole process of designing. It's exactly what I was just talking about, um, where I have to figure out, okay, do I want landscape? Do I want a portrait? If I do it landscape, that means my knobs are going to be on the side because it's not going to have a lever advance or anything like that because, you know, this is going to be a 3D printed, really low tech machine. So I'm going to have to have my knobs on the side. So if I do, uh, I, I set up a, a design and I started working through it. I came up with, with a, a setup where it's very much like a cartridge for the back of a, um, a Hasselblad or 
what I have the the Bronica, you know, Hasselblad copy. And that is, or even um, the RB67 to a certain extent, where the film, the film reels sit behind the part of the film that's being exposed. So, you know, you get a really thick back. Yeah, Mamiya 645 does that. Right, yeah. You get a thick back. and But then I was thinking, well, I need to be able to drill a hole through this thing so that I can look at that number. You know, and so it's, you know, it, figuring those things out, I absolutely love. I I just uh, today sent to the 3D printer, it's got about a 12-hour print uh, on it, is a little um, 135 pinhole camera that has a little device in there for clicking, clicking as the sprockets go by. So I can count sprockets. So I'm not, I'm not advancing it six frames when I don't need to advance it six frames or I'm not advancing it half a frame, you know, so I get over overlapping frames. That's one of the things with also an auditory cue instead of having the red window. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, but with 120, you don't have that option. So I have to, I have to, you know, figure out how to get those holes through a thicker device and, uh, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. I haven't, haven't done it yet, but, uh, but I'll figure that out. Yeah. So, it sounds like you can just make essentially a tunnel, uh, viewer. Sure. <clears throat> sure. To work. So, I mean, it, it's for me, half the fun of building these things is, um, is just for the sheer pleasure of inventing and making things and, and, and designing things and working through that process. I, I get a huge charge out of that. Well, I have exactly the same uh, inclination and I, I really, I really like just to make things. In fact, that's what I, I do most of the time. Yeah. But the other thing, um, I'm, I'm make art for a living and I also look at this as a way to make the camera itself kind of a work of art, something that's really interesting or oh, beautiful yeah, sure. to Absolutely. look at and not just for not just for the sake of making something beautiful, but also because the, what the camera looks like impacts your subject. It, it, sure. If you're, you know, the thing you're pointing at people uh, is going to affect how they react to you and it's going to affect the photograph. So that's, that's also something to consider. Yeah. That's, um, you know, it's the classic thing of, um, you know, if you're out with a film camera, that's one of the things that we get, you know, we get people thinking, you know, he's not just going to take a bunch of pictures of me and, you know, whatever. Um, the, it, it's more of, Hey, there's somebody who's serious about the photography and, and making it into an art piece. I, you know, I can definitely see that, um, being a, a, a definite good reason to, to do this type of thing. One of the other things, you know, that, that I keep thinking of is, you know, we, we kind of live in a post industrial society, right? Um, we live in the mechanical well, world. Well, I, I hear that's the case. I haven't myself actually been able to. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, well, you're, you're actually constructing things, right? You know, you, you, you make things for a living. I, I, um, I have a service. I'm in a service. I, I teach, uh, graphic design and web design. So I'm in the service industry. I'm, I'm in transferring knowledge, transferring information. And so you actually live in the new world. Yes, I live in the information world. I live in the information age. But part of the deal is, um, you know, we have, hopefully, uh, we have some time um, that we didn't. Um, and this this also, you know, it, it, it goes back to, to the age that we live in. We, we live in an age where we do have some leisure time to do this type of stuff. But uh, hopefully, once again... Um, but we, it, it's also not, even if we, it, you know, it, when we build them, we're not, we're not building them for as much of, out of necessity. Um, if you think back, okay. So if you go back to, um, you know, you're a pioneer, uh, a classic European pioneer, you, you get off the boat in New York, you go through Ellis Island, you get on a train, you, you go to Chicago and in Chicago, you get on a wagon, you know, and you start heading West. Um, I'm sorry, my grandparents just great grandparents just stayed in New York. But go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're the, they're the ones who said, "Okay, I'm getting off the boat. This looks good. This looks great." You know? <laughs> I descend. Uh, I descend from mid, some Midwestern farmers, so uh, I, I guess maybe I uh, I have that that perspective. But you know, if, if you're out there on the prairie and you know you 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 get your homestead and you're you know you're there and you need something to happen. Right. You need 
to have a device that will do something. Well, either you made it yourself or you walked three days into town and ordered it and then walked home and then came back six weeks later and hopefully it was getting off the train, right? Um, well, there was a necessity for it then. Well, now we still have that. I think we have that in our DNA, that idea that building and solving problems is, uh, is something that, that we should do. And, um, and now we have the time to do it, which I think is great. You know, it's, it's one of the things that sets us apart from the gibbons and the sloths. Actually, I'm going to disagree with that completely. Okay. Um, ever, ever since agriculture, humans have had less free time than most other creatures, including hunter gathering people. But I think you're right that there's been in the 20th century and now into the 21st, mm -hmm. there's been in the first world, at least a little more room to do whatever you want. Right. Right. Um, so that's a, I would say that's a recent return to the state of nature rather than something new. Okay. Sure. 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 I'll, I'll go with you on that. No, so for instance, the Bushmen, the Kalahari, generally had to work about two days to get everything they needed. Oh, yeah. Most okay. seasons of the year, and, and agriculturalists tend to work every day. Americans are particularly bad that way. Um, overwork is a problem we have. Uh, the biggest problem with the, uh, you know, the Kalahari Bushmen, though, is uh, that their 3D printers were fire, fire burners, you know, they had to... Okay, I'll try that joke again at another time. I... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I think we'll we should just start avoid comparing ourselves to other cultures for, sure. <laughs> for the rest of this show. We'll go with that. <laughs> right. So, what, why else will we uh, will we build a camera? What do you? What else do you think? Uh, well, the the final thing, kind of in line with what you're talking about, is that if you build a camera yourself, you can you can modify it, repair it. Uh, maintain it yourself. You're not dependent on uh, sending it off to an expensive repair place. I, I actually often have to reject wonderful old cameras because I can't afford the, to have them repaired, especially oh, if right. they have, they have, you know, exotic electronic parts that aren't made anymore. You're out of luck. And nowadays most cameras made are completely impossible for anyone to work on. And even the companies that produce them, can't fix them as soon as they stop making parts for them, which usually happens pretty fast. And that sounds like a, you know, I mean, that's an expense and it's a waste, but it's also, uh, it's also true that there's something to be said for using equipment over a long span of time, just because you can get good at using it. It's if it's not being changed every few years. Sure. Think of, think of the Bronica, um, RF 30 or RF six, four, five. You know, they're, I actually they're borrowed one for a year. Disappear. It's a great camera. It's a great camera. I would love to own one, but there's no way I'll pay for it because you can't get them repaired. Right, and right. They're, they're electronic, um, and they're two thousand yeah. bucks. You know, so they're out of my range. You know, right. I'm, I'm having this. I'm, I had this uh, vision recently that some day, not too far off. People are going to be hollowing out old digital cameras and installing film transport mechanisms. <laughs> sure. You know, after the electromagnetic pulse, right? You know, after the EMP uh, uh, renders oh, no, us just all. When, when we start running out of uh, good analog cameras that can be repaired, you know. Oh, yeah. Okay, sure. When, when a K-1000 is a museum piece, yeah. you know, maybe a while yet, but eventually people are people are going to have to make new cameras yeah and, and that's uh and that's also one of the things that i uh i like about building cameras you know uh we we see what other people have built um and we can we can build our own so uh, I, as we were just talking about that rf6 rf645 the bronica you know i was thinking well i need to make me one of those you know yes you know and you can actually some of that It'll be missing some of the electronics, but yes, but yeah, uh, I can buy. You can make pretty close to that camera. That one thing that's great about the camera is they kept most of it mechanical. The only okay. part, the only electronic part that uh, that you'd have to figure out would be um, an automatic light meter function. Okay, that's, sure. You know that I, you could come pretty close. You don't need it, but yeah, I've actually, got eyes. You could make the, a version of that camera, I think, and it is yeah. a really nice camera. Yeah. And I have no problem with Sunny 16. You know, uh, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good during the daylight. Um, uh, twilight and evening, I'm a little bit off. But uh, Sunny, uh, during the daylight, I'm I'm good with that. So I've got eyes. I can 
I can do that part. You live in a sunny place. I do. I do. Actually, yeah. you know, I live in a sunny but hazy place. I live in Florida and, um, uh, it's, it's sunny here quite a bit, but it, even when the sky is cloudless, it's hazy. So we get a lot of good bouncy light. And, yeah. um, uh, we, so, so, you know, it's essentially, uh, I have a fill for almost, for any shadow area, which is, which is something that's actually kind of nice for, for where I live. But, um, well, I live in the Northwest, so Sunny 16 only works for a few months of the year. <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you get rainy F4, right? <laughs> right. Quite a lot. All right, we've got a bunch of reasons why we like building cameras, but what do we mean by building a camera? It seems to me there are a lot of possibilities. Uh, um, well, one of the things, um, you know, you could... Building a camera is kind of a... Uh, it, it, it's a... It's a vague thing. Um, you know, you can build a lens, and I, I think that that, you know, a lens is half of the process, Right. So you could build a lens, you could build the body of a camera and put another lens on it. You can build parts of a camera and, and, and I'm, I'm good with referring to that as building a camera. Uh, so you can use some parts that are already in existence. You can use some parts that, that you build yourself or, or you could even take, you know, the lens off one camera and the body off another camera. And even with, you know, something like an adapter. Uh, you know, you can build an adapter and you can put them together. I, you know, I don't, I don't shoot much digital. There's, I don't get the same, I don't get the same charge out of digital, uh, as I do out of film, but there are lots of those digital folks who are running, you know, old M42 screw mount lenses and, uh, old Minolta lenses and, you know, all those different things on Sony's, you know. Actually, <clears throat> I am one of those. I am one of those folks. I have, uh, I do shoot quite a bit of digital and I have tons of adapters so that I can use pretty much any lens on that I want out of a big pile of lenses. And it, it really is. Some people don't think it, it's worth the trouble, but for me, it really is. It's, it's, uh, one of the things that we, you know, great. like I have a, um, uh, a Leica copy, a, a Voigtlander Bessa R3M. And it is, um, you know, right now the lens that I have on it is a 1953 KMZ, uh, Jupiter 3, which is a, uh, one point, uh, F 1.5 50 millimeter. And that looks completely different from the F 1.4 40 millimeter that I had on it before that was made, you know, in modern times by Cosina under the Voigtlander name. I understand that. I understand that totally. And I, you know, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily refer to, you know, putting that old screw mount lens on my, uh, my Leica copy as a, um, as building a camera, but I, uh, but you're taking, you're, you're going from one system to another. I, I certainly think that building, you can also I think, do things. Oh, go ahead. I think that when we join parts from different systems together, we're starting towards the building method that we call Frankenstein method, which is right. you take thing, parts, pieces, elements from the corpses of other systems and, and sew them together to make a new monster. And that's the most basic form is what you're describing, where you adapt a lens. Right. Uh, but it, it can result in all kinds of much more uh, exotic creations if you just kind of keep going with it and maybe build a few connectors of your own invention sure yeah sure and, and going like uh with with film camera going from one format to another like uh uh going from a, a medium format onto a 35 millimeter body or um you know four by five lens on a on a medium format body, those, those types of things, I think, uh, we, we definitely, you know, we're, we're, we're remixing to a certain, you know, to use a music and music analogy, we're remixing to a certain extent, but yeah, that's definitely within the range that, that comes under, um, comes under that building. You know, one of the other things that, that we do, uh, you know, that I've been doing, uh, is I've access to 
thanks to my school for for buying it or or the grant that they got to buy it but i thought really nice 3d printer about a three thousand dollar 3d printer um that i would have no access to at all if i you know if somebody hadn't written that grant although you can um sort of mail away to companies now um yes you can absolutely so, so you can you can order 3d printed parts just send them the file and they'll print it for you so you don't actually need to own a good printer to to, to work with with that that's, technology. that's absolutely yeah. right it does it does take the development cycle a little bit longer if you're waiting for a week for a part to come back to see you know does that really fit right whereas like you know uh, I, I can print a camera uh, like I'm I'm going to print one overnight here. It's a 12 hour print. Then when I come in uh, to work tomorrow morning, I'll I'll piece it all together and then and, and check to see if everything printed printed correctly. And then I can print it, print again. So that that's, I think, one of the more exciting avenues. Um, it, and, and this is the engineer. This is the raw engineering. Right. As opposed to adapting, you know, this is starting. Uh, and doing the doing the whole thing uh, together, and I, I I find that to be a uh, rewarding, shall we say, uh, endeavor. So I, I'm going to try and give some examples of these three different ways of building. Um, we'll start okay. we'll start with building from scratch. I don't have any examples myself, but I've got a book by Alan Green called Primitive Photography, and he's someone who makes old fashioned, uh, very large format cameras for for using very old processes where you essentially make your own film or paper okay, that's yeah. treated and he has this book on cameras he's built they're you know from the 19th century um that he makes the entire thing out of you know he's not trying to recreate the old days so he uses plywood and plastic but he's sure. building cameras that function like the 19th century cameras including building lenses. So you can make an, the whole thing yourself um, if you want. And that's something to keep in mind. Um, and I, you know, I've done that. Uh, um, I, I suppose, you know, I, I got into this building pinhole cameras. And, you know, well, the great thing about a pinhole camera is you can build, build them out of found objects or you can, uh, you know, build them out of raw materials. And I've done a lot out of wood. So uh, that certainly... Uh, works down that kind of path. Yeah, and another example that I have uh, of a Frankenstein camera is um, I had an old Lomography Bel Air that wasn't completely happy with, uh, and I took a lens and shutter off of a very old German folding camera, mounted it on the Bel Air, and I had to do some shimming and testing and get the focus to come out right. But when I did, I ended up with a, essentially an old-fashioned folding camera that has a automatic built-in light meter. So I can shoot this thing like a point-and-shoot camera, uh, but get this wonderful, uh, very wide panoramic, old-fashioned feeling images out of it. Isn't it a full automatic um, exposure? Yeah, it has, it has full automatic exposure, and, and you just set the ISO, and it will set the shutter speed for you. But... Because there's also a bulb setting on the on the Bel Air, then I can mm -hmm. open that up and use the mechanical shutter that came on the old folding cameras. Lens. Oh, okay. So, oh, yeah, so yeah. it gives me basically both ways of working, very versatile setup. It's actually become a really, really fun yeah. camera to use. And there's no way like there's no way that you could find this camera. Like you have to make it, <laughs> even right. though it's just stitching different parts together like Frankenstein. And I've done that a couple of times with some uh, old folder, folding camera bodies where I take the folding mechanism, take the, the bellows out and uh, stick a new lens on it, but build a lens cone and stick a new lens on it. Uh, and, and that works quite well. So that sounds like that's a hybrid where you, you're making a, some of the parts from scratch and then stitching right. together a Frankenstein. So that would, right. that would be the third kind of category of building where you you'd use every every different method in one one creation so 
Yeah. So, so what are some, give me some examples where you're just modifying a camera instead of actually building it. Um, cause I think we want to cover as broad, a, uh, a spectrum of ways of, of, of changing, changing your cameras around as we can. So, uh, well, yeah, one of the ways that you can modify a camera, um, is, you know, just by switching formats, you know, there, there, if you go on eBay, you can find a whole lot of, uh, you know, if you've got a 120 format camera, there are all these little adapters that you can get to put uh 35 millimeter film in them. Now there's some cameras that, that are, are better adapted to that and, and work a little bit better with that system. I had, um, a, um, a Fujifilm six by nine camera. It was a GW 690. And it, there were three different models. Mine was the first model. You know, I tried doing that a bunch of times, but there was a roller in there that needed to advance. That was what measured the frame. Um, and it needed to advance and the film just wouldn't grab it. Mm-hmm. So I came up with a system there where I put the 35 millimeter film in one part of the um, the lens opening. I, I don't know what to say. The, the film... Film, film gate. Frame, the film gate. Yeah, that's there we go. The film gate. And then across the edge, I uh, took a 120 backing paper and I slid it down until it, you know, it was the same length, but it was only uh, about three quarters of an inch wide. And I ran that at the same time. And I would tape the film and tape this leader, you know, this backing paper um, to the take up reel. And that would pull that, pull that, um, that one spindle. And I was able to shoot uh, 120 or uh, 135 film in that 120 camera, and it, and actually that was the best stuff that I uh, uh, that I did with that camera. It was a camera that that in the end kind of left me cold. On the other hand, it also got some of the best images that I'd ever taken uh, that I've ever taken. So that's that's one way to one way to do it. There's a a guy on Flickr that I just uh, saw the other day. He goes by Vance, but I, I, I—that's uh, the the identity that comes up. But I don't think that that's his username. But he, what he did was he took a, a four by five, four by five camera, um, and put uh, thirty three strips of thirty five millimeter film oh, yeah, in a that. four by five holder. Right? That was a lot okay. of fun. Yeah, yeah, and and so he's <clears> shooting, <throat> he's shooting over the sprockets, but he's also shooting three strips and uh and he you know he had a portrait up i thought that was excellent i thought that that was just i i've been wanting to do something similar but i've been thinking about just you know like taping the film to the back of a of a box you know and you know i was thinking of of it on a on a pinhole side so when you when you just did it with a lens (laughs) when you describe that i immediately want to make a roll film back that will take three rolls of 35 millimeter sure. in parallel but here's what it really needs you need to figure out a way to advance them independently <laughs> so, oh. <laughs> so so you could have some part you know like i mean you could almost do animation so you could create essentially double exposures on some reels and, oh, and yeah. you know full advance on the others and uh, it would be nuts that would that would be it'd be kind of like one of those old um uh witness um you know sketch kits um, where they would put, exactly. you know, they would say, "Oh, is it this kind of face?" And they throw a <laughs> throw a gel over or a, a transparency over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That <laughs> sounds really fun. Yeah. So, right. so uh, that's so, your next you know, assignment. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll start thinking that through. That's my engineering brain. <laughs> what are other ways um, that that we could adapt a film? Or adapt a camera, excuse me. So we already talked about adapting lenses, um, but there's some great stuff that people do by modifying lenses. And one of the sim- one of the simplest things that, especially with old cameras that have the, the separate lens elements are just independent, they're air-spaced, um, people will take the, the lens apart and flip one of the, uh, one of the actual little oh, yeah. glass lenses upside yeah, down some, or you know some reverse people it do that not by choice though <laughs> yeah yeah well it happens by mistake when you're trying to fix a lens but but if you often if you just flip one piece over the lens will still function but it will have a very different uh, quality and create different kind of image and that's that can be a very simple way to transform your camera that's a lot of fun one of the things that i did um it, uh, you know i spent uh, i heard the term uh living in the digital wilderness um I spent a lot of time shooting um, uh, digital cameras uh, over about the last decade. 
Um, and one of the things that I, I saw once was a, uh, an infrared camera. Okay, so an, it, it, what it is is uh, digital cameras have... They're, they're naturally sensitive both into the ultraviolet and into the infrared spectrums. So uh, camera manufacturers put a, a glass filter right in front of the sensor, which does a couple of things. It keeps anything from hitting the sensor, uh, but it also cuts off all that non-visible light. And um, so I looked into it and I found that there was a, a company, uh, it's LifePixel, uh, LifePixel did mine, that will modify your camera and take and put just plain glass in there. So it'll see into the infrared and it'll see into the ultraviolet and it will also see normal visible light. So, uh, so I had this camera and it, you could shoot it. I liked shooting it most full spectrum where, it, where it got all of the visible light, all of the infrared light and all of the ultraviolet light that, that the sensor could see. But then you could also put in IR and UV cutoff filter on the end. So I just screw that on the end of a lens and suddenly I'm, sh I'm back shooting just visible light. And then I could put on an infrared filter and you could get those infrared filters that are almost impossible to see through. Um, and you put that on the end and it, it stops it down like eight stops, but, but you're seeing just infrared. Uh, and, and that's, that's, uh, I had a lot of fun with that camera, um, and uh, I spent a lot on it. Uh, the uh, modification cost almost as much as the camera. Well, luckily, the Fuji cameras I use a lot um, have a very weak infrared filter, so you don't actually oh, need really? to so you just alter put the a, camera at all. Filter on the end? Uh, you can, yeah, you can just stick the IR filter on there, and they work great. Um, so, yeah, that's that is a lot of fun. And infrared film is actually harder and harder to work with. Um, you have to be that's also another way to do the same thing, but you have to be careful to send the film to a processor that knows how to do it because standard C41 processing machines have lights inside them that will fog the film. Yeah, and, you, and that actually leads into way. one of the other things is, um, you know, I, I I'm repeatedly will say that we are living in the second golden age of, uh, of film photography because... Uh, you know, I mean, I was I was way into photography. I mean, I'm I'm an amateur enthusiast. I'm not a professional photographer, but um, I was way into photography all through the 80s and 90s, and I never remember hearing anybody shooting movie film. Never remember anybody shooting X-ray film or any of those things. Um, so rolling that film into um, you know, uh, into a, a film camera today, um, you know, it's available, you know, in, in ways that, that we never had before. I mean, sure, we've lost a lot of film, a lot of film stocks gone by the wayside, um, but rolling film through a camera that was never meant to go through a still camera is certainly within the, the realm of modification, certainly within uh, that that type of thing. It's, it's certainly what I would, you know, go with alternative uh, processes. Yeah, well, this is the gold age. We have uh, the hybrid digital film options, still quite a bit of film around. And then the equipment has become much less expensive. Uh, when I was growing up, I never had more than one camera because, you know, that was as much as I could afford. And, and now there's this kind of surplus of cameras that nobody's using. And even though there's more interest now than there was, there's right. still just a ton of right. stuff around. Exactly. Very so one of the, one of the yeah. other things uh, that we talked, you know, when you were talking about flipping the lens, you know, one of the other things you can do is take that lens out altogether. Um, I had um, uh, a really nice 1930s, 1940s German camera called a Vergen uh, Edenex. And um, it's, it's got a collapsible lens. It's, you know, it's made for walking around with. Uh, it's a little bit heavy because the cameras of the era were heavy. But the problem is that the the lens has just been eaten by fungus. You know, I got the fungus off of it, but it had already been pitted really bad. And 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 there's something to be said for 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 using those lenses, right? There's something to be said for getting an effect that you can't get uh, without a lens like that. But I was looking for something else. So what I did was I I just I kept the shutter. The shutter was fine, but then I just um, uh, you know put a pinhole on the end of it. And so 
uh, that, you know, so I, I, I put it on, on bulb or time. I think it's got time. Um, so I, uh, oh no, a bulb is the one that's on. So I, I click it, I hold it and then I let out, you know, um, with most pinhole cameras, I'm guessing on time anyway. It's got the, you know, perfect transportation, um, and it works really well. So that would be a, that would be a, a really good way of, uh, of modifying a camera. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, another thing that, that was very common in film days was to use filters. And a lot of people have given up on exotic filters because you can get most of the same effects in post-processing. Um, but there's still something to be said for fooling around with the old filters. And you can often find all sorts of interesting old exotic filters in, uh, you know, thrift stores for peanuts. And they're worth playing with because sometimes getting the alteration you want at, you know, when you take the photograph can be more effective than, you know, just manipulating it later in, in uh, software. Modifying processing or, uh, you know, the actual materials that you make the image out of. I think we should include that uh, as well. Absolutely. I don't know. Have you ever played with caffeinol? No, it's on my list of things to do. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll send you my um, my washing soda. I was uh, listening to an old outdated episode of Sunny 16 on my way into work today. And they're, <laughs> they're sitting there talking about... What is washing soda? I, I I don't understand what washing soda is, and it's you know, uh, we can get it um, uh, in grocery stores from Arm and Hammer, um, uh, but I'm not sure that they're able to get it over there in the UK. And but the, anyway, my or maybe they maybe they just call it something. Yeah, else. they probably do. It's something sodium. Um, yeah, but um, the um, uh, but caffeinol, um, which is of course made out of um, instant coffee, vitamin C tablets. Uh, a little bit of bromide and I think bromide, uh, sodium bromide, something bromide and, um, uh, and washing soda is, uh, is a system that a lot of people have done. And, um, I have mixed my own and I have gotten to the point where I've given up on it. Now I know a lot of people are good with it. I've used some, uh, from, uh, laboratoire something or other. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I got it through the film photography podcast store and, um, they, um, uh, that caffeinol worked a whole lot better than, than the caffeinol <laughs> that I made. But, uh, you know, it's certainly worth, uh, worth looking at. Right. So home cooking as well as homemade. Right. Exactly. Exactly. How about souping film? Have you ever souped film? No, I never have. Um, and it sort of reminds me there's also flashing. Oh, uh, yeah. There's all sorts of kind of pre-treatment you can do to your medium, whatever Yeah, it is. flashing. Well, flashing, that's um, pre-flashing uh, paper, paper negatives is something that I hear people doing a lot. Um, have you ever worked with paper negatives? So I'll, I'll, I'll try that. No, and that's um, also high on my list of things to do. <laughs> We've got plenty to explore. I love the, all these things that we're finding to explore. Yeah, so I've thought often that paper negatives um, can solve a problem that I often have with a, a if you have a camera that has doesn't have a working shutter, or or maybe you're you've got a lens that doesn't have a shutter and you want to build a camera using that lens. Well, one solution is just to use a really slow ISO. Like right. paper can be down around two or six ISO. So you're going to have shutter speeds that are so long that you can just use a lens cap instead of a shutter. Right. And so that's a way to, you know, to solve that, <laughs> the, the, the yeah. missing shutter problem. And it would be, <laughs> it would be a way for me to get into, um, uh, a large format without, I, I'm, uh, if I, I have 120 equipment and I have 35 millimeter equipment. And if I get into developing equipment for four by five, I'm just looking at another two, three hundred bucks. Uh, and I would have to. Replace oh, not my, necessarily. Well, I'd have to replace my scanner as part of the deal. My scanner will only do uh, one. No, you don't. Wide. Do you have a macro lens? I yeah, I probably could come up with a macro lens. And even if you don't have a macro lens, you could just take a fifty millimeter lens uh -huh. and buy a, a little. Um, have you heard of reversal? 
adapters. Sure, where you where where you screw it. You screw it into the filter yeah. end of the lens, okay. and then you put your lens backwards on your camera. Well, that very frequently results in a good macro focusing setup. Uh-huh. Just, just doing that. So you could, if you have a fifty millimeter lens, and you know, ideally a digital camera. Yeah, you can you can simply f- take a macro picture of your film of your four by five. I usually take several photographs and then stitch them together to get a really high resolution. Uh, uh, but in other words, you don't need a scanner at all, especially black and white. Uh-huh. But even with color, you with a little extra work, you can you can process yeah. it. So that's where I would go first, rather than buying a big fancy scanner, just photograph the negative put it on a light table and take a picture okay well maybe maybe that's where i'll where i'll head what about um like uh wet plate collodion or cyanotype or salt prints or anything like that yeah so those particular ones well cyanotype i'd love to try um the the stuff i really want to try are some of the early um alternative processes where you basically just treat paper to create like an albumin print or something yeah something those, the, those i love those things yeah. and and those someday i'm going to work on that and another reason that appeals to me is that you can do very large format stuff um and just do a contact print so you, you know you yeah it's it's it can be very simple you don't need to buy a lot of equipment to set up have, although i have i have a giant and larger that someone gave me but it's missing parts so maybe someday you know have you heard about that um uh the ilford material that they're making um where you coat a normal type of paper with this stuff and it turns it into uh a paper that will readily absorb inkjet ink so you could take, you know, like arches or something like that. Um, and, and, no, and I have it with so, that. I, I wonder if it makes it less absorbent. Cause I know a lot of the high quality inkjet printing papers are basically high end papers right. like arches right. that have been treated with some kind of sizing that actually keeps the ink up on the surface. Cause if it's, you know, if you, if the ink gets sucked down into this right. big sponge of paper, you'll, you won't be able to see your image very well. Yeah. So, yeah, I've never heard of that. That sounds interesting. Yeah, I, I thought it was pretty yeah. interesting. I mean, um, you know, it, it's it's um, uh, an output that um, would be certainly different, and every one of them would be different. Um, even though you're using all the digital tools to print it on an inkjet printer, you're creating a unique item um, because sure. you know, everyone's going to be different. Well, there's another way to use the digital hybrid process, which really appeals to me which is that starting from any initial image could be digital could be on film could be any format you can create a negative in software and then print that out on a transparent medium and there are actually some specially designed for negative work uh, if you look at some of those sources like um i think maybe the photographer's formulary or maybe one of those other specialist uh stores you can buy a clear acetate type medium that runs through a, a you know inkjet printer that is spe- specifically designed to create negatives. Anyway, you create your own negative, but whatever size your printer is. So let's say you could print out a thirteen by you know twenty <laughs> one inch negative, and then you have a tremendous you know huge contact print. And I've seen really beautiful work done that way. So. You're making, you're using a digital stage in the middle to create a negative, but then the contact print can be any of the traditional old fashioned processes. Um, so it's a way to avoid having to buy an eight by 10 camera. Yeah. Well, I'm <laughs> hearing that is a little bit of a challenge because I've, uh, uh, access to a printer here at school that has, uh, it's 40 inches wide. It's a big 40 inch. Oh episode, man. So, oh man. Yeah. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> Now you're going to have to find some, well, you may have to make some 40 inch print paper. I don't know if you can buy that. <laughs> well, yeah, you would have to probably do it on one of those special orders. Uh, you know, that, you're going to have to pour the whole bottle of silver nitrate on this <laughs> piece of paper. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, well, we've got, you know, uh, I, I, I think, you know, I, I, all the things that we've gone over today, um, I, you know, is there an end? Um, you know, if we, we sit down and we explore every one of those things, we've got um, uh, several decades ahead of us to uh, to master each one. Not that I'm anybody who ever masters any, any one thing. <laughs> 
Right. So well, so this show's going to have to be continued via Ouija board. At some point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, and uh, and I'm sure that there, uh, you know, we only scratch the surface. I'm sure that there are half as many are uh, are double what we went over. That's the idea I was looking for. Double what we went over. You know, uh, I want to throw in one more of these um, alternative processes oh, yeah, that sure. I just ran in ran into that I think we should include because. We're you and I are mostly oriented towards building film cameras, sure. but there are all sorts of uh, homemade experiments with digital cameras. And the one that really appeals to me is somebody I've saw more than one person has taken a flatbed scanner and stuck it on the back of an ultra large format camera. <laughs> okay, <laughs> <laughs> and, and created this giant digital camera that will you can use like a you know a view camera, wow. but. Because the scanner takes several minutes or however long it takes to cover the whole back of the thing, you also have this really weird situation where each little little portion of the file is fairly instantaneous, but the whole image was scanned over a period of time. So you can have very weird results with some parts moving, some parts holding still, and it's a really interesting tool to work with. And extremely high resolution. Oh, well, yeah, and kind of like some of the effects that you get with a swing camera or a spinner camera. Yeah, some similar similar problem, right? On a much slower scale. So, yeah. yeah anyway, that's something I definitely want to do. Okay. Um, I, I'd love to have a digital back, but I can't afford them. Sure. But I could afford an old scanner. So right, right. This would be something worth trying. And there's a thing about being forced to experiment. I think it's almost a benefit. Like if I could just go buy the fanciest camera available, and you know, and just use it, right. I think that might be boring. I think this is going to be more, more interesting. Right, exactly. Trying to build it ourselves. Well, we'll have to we'll have to think about uh, about cameras maybe that we can both build. You know, so I'll build one and uh, and you build one and uh, and maybe we'll we'll just have like a really general idea, like um, a wooden bodied camera that has a uh uh an 80 millimeter lens because 80 millimeter lens 80 millimeter lenses are all over the place and see what you come up with and and we'll see you know and, and we'll see what i come up with and and we can't show each other until the big reveal <laughs> that sounds that sounds really fun yeah. and, and if we ever get a li- listener maybe we can convince them to do yeah absolutely absolutely we could yeah. we could uh put together a challenge so there's one more category that we haven't. Oh covered. no! What's that? And there are more and more people now that are using digital printers, like you, as you are, yes. to make um, parts for cameras. But I've gotten into. Uh, I oh. signed up for a a Kickstarter uh-huh. by the, this sort of a uh, <clears throat> very enthusiastic camera designer builder who is a uh, created something that he calls the Mercury modular camera system. And I've got several of the components and I've been building and using these cameras. And essentially what it boils down to is he's looked at uh, the ultimate goal would be to be able to connect any lens to any film format imaginable with, with sort of plastic Legos that are 3D printed that will allow you to stick these different things together. And he's taken it really far. Uh, there's an, already a huge variety of parts available that can allow you to use a big range of lenses with a big range of film. Wow! Cameras. So I could I could take out take apart an old Instamatic, and use one of those really great Instamatic plastic lenses, and put it on a one twenty camera. You could any pretty much. There's no limit. Oh, uh, yes, but he's <laughs> there are there are practical issues uh-huh. that make some extreme versions kind of silly, but. If you stick to kind of mid-range lens, especially wide angle to normal and a little bit longer lenses. Oh, okay. And if you, especially if you stress um, large format equipment, then it's very easy. And so, for instance, <clears throat> large format cameras for the most part are universal connections. So graph, uh, the Graflex camera company started making something called a Graflock back early on. Sure, it doesn't and the RB67 most other, have that? Yeah, most well, most large format and a very few medium format cameras adopted the standard okay. and it means you it means you can use film backs from all these different makers on any other camera and that's super convenient. And so he's used that standard 
He's also created some connectors for more unusual film bags. There's no real limit to what you can do. You just have to design. Cool. Also, this is an open format. Uh, what is it called? Um, anyway. Open source? <clears throat> open source. It's an open source system. So other people are designing their own parts for the system. And there should be, it really is a homemade system in that you can design and make your own parts. Uh, but he's created such a, such a well thought out starting point. Um, that makes it really easy to get going. So for instance, I'll, I put together a camera that uses a medium format lens that has its own shutter in it, uh, a medium format film back. Then I've got it connected together with his uh, plastic parts, but then I could simply use that as a template and build my, you know, my body out of anything. It's a really kind of quick way to get into building a camera okay. for yourself. And then, and then kind of shows you how to do, how to take it farther. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Anyway, Mercury, um, I've got some of those cameras shown on, on our uh, Flickr page, and they're another way to do homemade cameras. That's pretty simple, pretty easy. And and what uh, what is that Flickr page so we can send people to them? Homemade Camera Podcast. The Homemade Camera Podcast Flickr group. Um, mm-hmm. You can also uh, go to our webpage, which is homemadecamera.com, homemadecamera.com. Um, if you want to get a hold of me, um, you can, uh, email Graham at homemadecamera.com and that is G-R-A-H-A-M at homemadecamera.com. Uh, and Nick, uh, is Nick at homemadecamera.com. So, uh, just plain old N-I-C-K at plain old. Isn't that nice? See what I did with your name there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um... Uh, and then if you just want to email the, the show in general, you can e- email us at podcast at homemadecamera.com. Uh, that's podcast at homemadecamera.com. So, uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you certainly can. And, uh, I assume eventually we'll get some listeners. That is kind of some of the purpose of this. Um, get, get in touch with us. Um, uh, send us emails and, uh, and we will get back with you. Yeah, I'd encourage people to, to that are building cameras to participate and post pictures. And, you know, even if you can't bring yourself to listen to us, it would be fun to see what you're doing <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> on the Flickr page. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, we will see you next time. If you have any questions, email us and we'll get with you. And I want to thank Robbie Cribs of Soundtrap Studios for creating the music that accompanies this podcast. Thank mm-hmm. you.